Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. I talk about it a lot on on this show, but I'm really blessed and that I get to use this time to hang out with some of the top revenue and enablement operators in the SaaS world. And I'm delighted to be joined today by someone who has had a rather unique journey in the enablement field in that we talk about the blend or the mix between enablement and RevOps. Today's guest has, has had experience in both fields as, as well as sales. Today's guest is the Director of Revenue Operations at Pearson, specifically at, at Pearson's Workforce Skills business, which is a really exciting newly formed business yep. that, that you folks are building. You're in that kind of growth phase at the yeah, moment, absolutely. piecing it together. Today's guest is Sam Sutton-Reed. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for coming down and really grateful that we've got some time to hang out together today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a chat. Sam, I mentioned a little bit in the intro there about your journey has been a very unique one and a very interesting one. For the listeners today, if you wouldn't mind, just talk us through a little bit about your journey and how have you moved into leadership and yeah, leading RevOps? Absolutely. So I was thinking about this question on the way in on the train. And I think like when I first started doing what I would describe as a sales enablement role, I didn't actually know that the term sales enablement existed. So I wasn't called that, but I essentially was. But like winding a little bit back before that. So I was in sales for many years between a few companies, ended up in sales management, probably did that for at least five, six years. And, you know, I enjoyed it. I had a brilliant team in my last sort of sales management role, but it, it somehow wasn't cutting the mustard in the same way anymore. Yeah. And I needed a new challenge. It was my boss actually at the time. She suggested that I, I mean, she was trying to get rid of me, I guess, but she suggested <laughs> I was I should apply for this role as head of product management. And it seemed like this really big sort of step to go from being a sales manager to be a head of product management, especially having never worked in product management. But she recognized something and I applied for it. And sort of relatively surprisingly to me, I got it as well. And it was a secondment, which I think, you know, was just such a great opportunity to do a year in something totally different. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculously intense especially the first month or two and I was totally out of my depth but I think I learned a valuable lesson from that about reinvention and it's something that's a really big theme for me and not everyone wants to do this right but like how do you reinvent yourself you shouldn't do it too often in my mind because you master what you're doing but it's for me it's good to sort of think about reinvention be that in what you're doing now or into moving something else I did this year of product management And the thing that really struck me doing that very clearly was the disconnect between product managers and what they were doing and how brilliant they were. Incidentally, Mm. I probably had not as, I wouldn't say I had a dim view, but I didn't appreciate how good they were before working with them. Super intelligent. But there was a disconnect between what they were trying to do and the sales teams who would actually ultimately sell their product to make them successful. And I probably wasn't actually very good at product management in terms of pure product management. Okay. But what I was good at is sort of translating their expertise, if you like, in something that the salespeople could then actually get their teeth around. So then this comment came to an end and I knew very clearly I wasn't going to go back to being a sales manager. Unfortunately, this sort of role came up, which wasn't sales enablement, but it was. And I got to build a team from the ground up 
who were amazing, like one of the best teams I've worked with ever, to be honest with you. And we created something really special. And we created what was a sales enablement function that started off with sort of, I would say, product specialists almost, if you like, who translated between the product teams and the sales teams and the marketing teams. And then also we grew a sales ops function. And so I worked in sales enablement as head of sales enablement for like three years. And I loved it. It's really interesting because the salesperson I was, you know, I thought I was going to be a salesperson and a sales manager and then a sales director. And I really saw that sort of linear timeline for me. And it just completely flipped on its head in a moment. And I've never really looked back. So I did that for three years and I really learned what sales enablement looked like. You know, moved out of just doing product enablement, I would say, to doing sales skills enablement. Loved that. Loved the sort of connection you can get with people and challenging how they do things and bringing new points of view to how they go about their sales. I worked on a lot of forecasting. And then I started getting into optimization of forecasting and digital tools to do that, like TechStack. And so like it kind of naturally morphed from sales enablement into RevOps and another reinvention happened. So I had this opportunity to go and work for Workforce Skills in Pearson, this new entity, really exciting, completely new market. Most people probably know Pearson as the exam provider or the textbook provider. This is not that. It's targeting enterprise businesses with some really exciting solutions to support lifelong learning. This is a journey to where I am today. I still think of myself as a bit of a sales enablement person, even though I'm in RevOps. And I definitely have an eye on that. And I have a brilliant enablement manager who is, to be honest with you, taking it to places that I never did when I was head of sales enablement. And we're really focusing on trying to drive change through great quality enablement. Amazing. What an interesting journey. And there's going to be so many cool kind of deep dives that we can do along that journey. The one thing that you you said there, which I thought was interesting, was the importance of reinventing yourself. Yeah. Actually, to take a kind of abstract example, I listened to a podcast recently with Annie Mack, uh-huh. DJ. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually one of Annie Mack's principles. Oh, really? Every 20 years, she believes ah. that you should reinvent yourself. I think she's just hit 40. So she's going through that, that yeah, big yeah. reinvention herself. I think that's a really interesting way of viewing your career because I've heard that a lot through the leaders that I speak to on the show. You've got to keep looking ahead and setting yourself those kind of new new goals, new targets to strive for. I remember an HR leader in a previous company a long time ago sort of described me as a change junkie. Okay. And I was like, oh, I'm not a change junkie. Like, I felt really anti that term. But actually on reflection back then, it was a compliment because it was like, if a change happens, I'm up for trying something different. And so, yeah, that idea of reinvention, I think, is really interesting that Annie Mack referenced that. Yeah, you've got to be brave to do that. And it comes with intensity. I think the thing I've learned and the two big reinventions I've done, or the three maybe, the move from sales management to product management was exhausting. It was a really, really steep learning curve. Mm. The same again when going into sales enablement. The challenge with that was nobody was doing it. Yeah. So I didn't even know how steep the curve was. Yeah. And I guess that's a really big tip that I've learned that I'm trying to apply in this RevOps role is to go and find the people who are actually doing it. Yeah. So go and join sales enablement collective or other such groups don't have to be big or small, end up on the Slack channels, all of that sort of stuff, and find people and talk to people who are doing what you're doing and are ahead of you. Because what you'll quickly find is we all have different definitions of sales enablement. We've all learned lessons differently. It's a completely nascent industry. Everybody is so open. It's one of the things I love about sales enablement. Everybody's so open to working with each other and supporting one another. It feels like that's part of the exciting aspect of working in this space, right? Is that it is still very nascent. Like yeah. you said, your first sales enablement role wasn't even called sales enablement. 
I was speaking on this show with head of GTM enablement at Zoom last week. Okay. And we were talking about how it feels like perhaps here in Europe, we've got a little bit more of a way to go. 100%. I'd agree with that. In the US market, the definition of enablement's a bit clearer. Roles and responsibilities and reporting lines are a bit more consistent. But I'm excited by that because, you know, we can help shape what enablement is and what it yeah. becomes and how important it is for the org. Absolutely. And I've been trying to work out in my head how we explain what enablement is. And I think in that itself, there's problems. And what I mean by that is a sort of the, one of the first things that occurred to me was it's kind of like the service industry. Mm. So like, let's imagine the sellers are all the people that are in our restaurant. We want to make sure that they have everything that they need, right? We want to make sure from the moment they walk in the door as a new starter, they're impressed by our restaurant, they're looked after, they're guided to their table, they have a brilliant meal, etc. And I think a lot of people do, whilst they wouldn't maybe use that analogy, they do somehow look at sales enablement like that. But the problem with that is you're a servant, if you see what I mean. And whilst there is an element of truth that a sales enablement person's job is to enable, obviously, yeah. teams... You can get into a dangerous dynamic, I think, with that. And what I've noticed about the change moving to RevOps is that is different. Mm. And this just might be me. It might just be because I've changed roles, different teams, etc. But I do think there's a bit more authority placed in what I say, if you see what I mean, in, in a RevOps role than in a sales enablement role. And I think it's particularly true. And we were talking about this before. So it sort of builds on a point we were making about when you're working with managers and the enablement of managers. And it's definitely something I've got wrong many times in the past i'm still not sure i've cracked it but yeah i mean i mean it'd be interesting on what you've got from your other guests from an enablement point of view with managers like what how do we do that yeah yeah and it's it's a question that i think we hear a lot across the enablement community it almost is almost like a critical point of failure if yeah. you cannot effectively engage the manager group then how the hell are you going to get launch successful leadership initiatives the episode that I recorded last week with the head of GTM at Zoom is an amazing one to go back and listen to. One of the key points that she made there, I think the importance of proof points Yeah, early. Sent. So building trust with the, with the manager group. And to be honest, there was a very refreshingly honest assessment last week in that conversation where she said, you know, quite often you'll be trying to take a program out to a set of sellers. 50% of them don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think building trust with the manager group, one way to do that is through using data and proof points and, and almost like mini case studies yep. that you build with that manager group. So that's something that's that's worked well, really well there. So we've talked a bit there about manager engagement, and we've also kind of touched upon or kind of skirted around this kind of elephant in the room at the moment in the enablement industry. We're recording this in January 2023. It's quite tough times and mm -hmm. economically and Unfortunately, you know, a lot of enablement colleagues have lost their jobs yeah, absolutely. in recent months. So you said something interesting there, which was that with your RevOps hat on, it almost feels like you have a bit more of a voice in the room and almost kind of heard a little bit more across the organization. One of the biggest challenges I'm hearing from enablement leaders right now is how do I prove my worth? A hundred percent. How do I demonstrate ROI? And one part of, of me is thinking, how do enablement learn from RevOps in terms of RevOps yeah. ownership of metrics and numbers and data? And is there a role perhaps for RevOps to support enablement in yep. proving their worth? That's really interesting. I think like you know, you asked beforehand me to think about what the biggest challenges are facing sort of enablement, and it was my number one, right? It's the biggest challenge facing all of us. No one wants to use the R word, but we've got a recession either happening now or coming in the very near future. Depending on who you speak to. Exactly. <laughs> Depending on people's definition of it, I'd arguably say it's happening now. And it's very easy to imagine a senior sales leader looking at their organization and cutting the people that aren't quota carriers, 
right? And different organizations have got to do different things, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, even though I'm a sales enablement advocate, I'm not saying that that would be the right or wrong thing to do in any particular circumstances. I think if you're going about it to try and prove that your enablement function is delivering a return on investment because you want to keep your job, whilst that's perfectly fair, mm -hmm. because it's a horrible situation to be in, and I've yep. been in that situation many times and, and ultimately had the experience of being made redundant, so I know how it feels, but you're going about it the wrong way as far as I'm concerned. We should be really truly proving without an agenda the return on investment on our functions and the programs within those functions all the time. And I think that's probably is the RevOps hat, if you like. I think what I tend to see with sales enablement is the people that gravitate towards sales enablement have high degrees of sort of focus on people. Mm. They get a lot of satisfaction out of enabling people, obviously, and helping people. Like It kind of comes with the territory. And sometimes that can mean they don't always have an eye on setting goals and monitoring goals and KPIs that are very easy to measure or that are measurable right from the start. And I guess that's where probably I didn't fit in to the sales enablement mold. One of the advantages of doing the FOMO approach, right, is you can almost test your metrics early on with a smaller group. Yeah, It's almost like having your early adopters or something like that, right? If you're so selling a new platform, you're going to select some early adopters. You're going to look for metrics that you want to, and maybe this comes from my time in product management as well, in a way, reflecting on it. It's all about return and it's all about metrics. Yeah, I think like being very clear right at the start about what good looks like and what we're aiming for and how that aligns to the business goals. We've got really, really ambitious goals in Pearson. We'll absolutely hit those. I'm confident of it. But we need to keep an eye on leading indicators to make sure we do that. And the sales enablement is one part of those leading indicators. So we've recruited quite a lot of people. An indicator is their ramp. Yeah. Right? That's really obvious. But how many sales enablement people, if they're really truly honest with themselves, focused on the quality of the training they've delivered and how happy everybody is in that onboarding new start, which is important as well, and not the hard, like, when are these people actually getting to whatever it is, your ramp that you've defined? And you've got to define that before. Yes. You can't mark your own homework, right? And I think, you know, the people that I meet in sales enablement who are really good, and there's loads of them about, that's what they're really good at. I mean, they do lots of things, but you really get this sense that they have total buy-in and understanding of their corporate goals for their bit of the business they work in, and that every single initiative they do they're clear on the impact that it has. So that's yeah. one point. I think the other point I would say from the RevOps hat on me, what I now see, which I didn't see clearly before in sales enablement, was the power of an integrated platform and integrated data sets. So I'm sort of driving towards everything being integrated to a single point of truth, which is Salesforce, but it can be whatever you want it to be, right? And now I can follow the trail, if yeah. you see what I mean. So I can see the ramp of a person you could also arguably look at the ramp of a product or a project or a piece of content. And I can see with very clear efficacy how that's impacting the outcomes. Mm. And then therefore, you can start doing scenario planning, right? And that's when you start adding real value. So put very simply, if we were to turn the dial on 25% of this one issue we've got, what would that mean in terms of revenue? That's how we need to be talking. You can still do all the fantastic training seeing that spark in people's eyes when you're helping them out, creating great content. That's one thing. The other thing as well is that occurred to me is it related to my second challenge. 
Which my second challenge I see, and it might just be my organization that I've seen this in, but I've talked to other people and I think they see it as well, is we're overwhelmed, I think, a little bit with data points and more specifically content. And typically salespeople, they're not always the best at writing content. It's a bit of a controversial opinion, perhaps, and I'm sure there'll be salespeople listening to this that would disagree firmly. They're listening to this podcast. They're obviously excellent at writing content and they're probably thinking about getting into sales enablement one day. They just haven't quite realized it yet. And even applying for a job at Pearson Workforce Skills. Yeah, <laughs> well, hopefully. Those really talented people, definitely. It's interesting. It's a, a, a colleague in finance, I won't say his name because he'll love the fact that I've even thought of him in this regard, said to me, what if we stopped salespeople thinking at all? Now, he didn't really mean it, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's just a provocative question. He lied. What if they couldn't think? What if they were given content and we know that content's optimized? Now, obviously, we don't really want to do that. And I would challenge it because you want individual and you want spark and you want creativity. But actually, there's probably 80% that you can optimize, mm -hmm. I reckon, and then 20% that you can play with. So if sales enablement start doing that, then actually you're, you're saving money. So rather than thinking about return on investment, think about the total wasted effort. And it's really easy to estimate, right? And again, maybe this comes back from time and product. And that's I mean, the cost of owning your sales force. Exactly. That's the way I think about it. What's the total cost of owning the sales force? And where is all the wasted effort? Hmm. So like, take a sales engagement funnel. Many, many different tools, right? We won't mention them, but there's ones that, you know, live in an attic or a loft type thing. There's other ones <laughs> that live elsewhere. Okay. How effective are those really? And if your enablement function actually really focused on optimizing them, how much money would they save? Yeah. Because that's what it's all about, right? In time, when times are hard, it's not actually about necessarily how much money you generate, it's how much money you save. Bottom line, yeah. Exactly. And then how much money would that lead to in terms of generation? And it's pretty obvious, right? And I'm sure really experienced sales enablement colleagues listening to this would just go, yeah, of course, we do that. But I think there's actually quite a lot of people not thinking like that in this space. And they're the people that need the help, possibly. I don't know if you saw the very interesting white paper from Yako, Winning no. by Design, but he talked there about there's there's basically an unskilled labor crisis happening in sales yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. Absolutely. And alongside that, you've had the proliferation of, of sales engagement tools, which have kind of let all of these unskilled workers loose to the market to basically spam everyone. Oh my God, yes. And destroy SaaS brands overnight. That is so true. We've just started trying to control that, funnily enough, a little bit, because we definitely see the risk of that. Like mm -hmm. Pearson is a strong brand mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that we protect that as well. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to go enterprise sales. If you're dealing with enterprise sales, we're more important than everyone else. Just that's what people in enterprise sales sometimes do, right? But if you're selling to schools or colleges or accountancies or legal teams or yeah. small, large, big, you know, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's still human beings on the other side, right? Yeah, you can destroy your brand. And the thing is, you can do it easier than ever before. Mm. Like, and maybe it's something that I'm quite passionate about because when you're saying to education, which is what I did for a long time, yeah. saying to deans or lecturers or head teachers, try saying to English teachers. People think, oh, I can't make spelling mistakes. It's not just about that. It's actually literally about, you know, your prose, essentially. And you feel so, like you've been marked every time you send them an Yeah, email. well, they won't be marking because they're <laughs> lovely people, to be honest with you. Any English teachers listening, I know you're all amazing, but they will react better to better written content and you've got yeah. to find that balance right it's not marketing content but it's somehow optimized sales content and the money saving in that i think could be significant that's a really interesting point super super interesting yeah i mean that, that, that unskilled labor piece makes a lot of sense and it, it's even something we've started to do at uhubs where yeah, yeah. You know, we've actually brought in a specialist email agency i really just to own that piece of really? our outbound yeah. sequence so our sdrs can focus on the phones where they are trained um, exactly 
Yeah, right. It's putting the skills in the right place and then harnessing those skills, right? And in a way, maybe this point takes us right the way back to managers and sales enablement and the interplay between those. Because if managers are having to cover all of those bases, they can't do the really good job of actually making sure the SDRs are being amazing on the yeah. phones. Whereas if they're in a battle with sales enablement, so to speak, or if there's tension there, then actually what typically ends up happening is people are they're crossing over, right? And actually, maybe sales enablement can do a much better job of proving their worth by being really clear on where they have impact and where the managers have impact. So working hand in hand. Yeah. We were talking before today's show about Celine, who's now at Normative. And one of the terms she's got in terms of building out your sales enablement approach is she calls it the data playbook. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically just like, what are those set of metrics or KPIs that you're going to focus the sellers and the managers on? 100% but then also use yourself to keep yourself accountable. Going back to your first point you made around ROI and proving impact, it feels like that's perhaps a step that is often missed. Yeah, absolutely. And also having a shared understanding of those that aligns to the business. And like, I came very well prepared, right? I've done my homework. You know, you talked about like, what are those nuggets that you walk away from sales enablement with? My one big one was you are not they're just for sales. Mm -hmm. So it's like really badly named role in some respects. And I think some of the best insight I've got is from working closely with colleagues in finance or marketing or product and not just listening. You have to listen to the sales team, but not yeah. just listening to the sales team. And I think OKR or KPI or goal setting or whatever it is you call it in your, if you do it well, you've got a unique position where you're actually across all of those things. Yeah. And in big organizations, it can sometimes be hard to see the overlap, but you can make that happen. And just listening to you describe that fully integrated sales enablement role, that immediately, from my perspective as a CEO, starts to sound much more of a strategic role and a strategic asset to the yeah. business rather than a perhaps more disposable. Absolutely. The name's the problem, right? Which is, I know is really bad when you've got a sales enablement podcast, right? But like, it is a challenge. And it's interesting, I met with a sales ops team yesterday at Pearson who are really big and they're really established. Mm. And we had a chat and I've set up a bit of a community in Pearson to try and bring these people together. Awesome. Because we're a bit of a disaggregated company at times and we don't know what each other's doing. And in every bit of Pearson, the sales ops or rev ops or sales enablement function is relatively small, which is as it should be, right? Yeah. Like the sales team should be much bigger. They made the comment, they were like, oh, you're in rev ops. How's that different to sales ops? And I was like, well, it's quite similar. <laughs> you know, it's, it's maybe just a different name, but it is also, I support marketing and customer success and work with finance placing. And they're like, we do that. I could see the penny dropping moment for them mm. that like names matter, right? Mm. And what your goals are and how you state them and how you articulate yourself. That's the other thing as well that I've always said is you need to have like a byline. What is it you do? And I actually... I, since forgotten my sales enablement one because I've replaced it with my RevOps one, if you <laughs> see what I mean. But my RevOps one is we are here to create the ecosystem for the sales, marketing, and customer success teams to be successful and hit their targets. That's it. And if you can't state it simply like that, then you've got a problem. Sounds like a mini charter. Yeah, yeah. Which you agree with the leadership and so that Absolutely. everyone's clear on what you're doing and what you're not. Yeah, look, it can be a vision, be a charter. It can be, I think... What's crucial, though, is you need to believe it. Like This comes back to right sales, right? Like You've got to actually believe what you're saying, and you need to repeat it. Yeah. And I think 
when I first did the role that was sales enablement wasn't called sales enablement, part of the problem we had was our name made no sense. Hmm. So these things do matter. I think the advice I give is like be really clear on how your goals for each project, not just for you as an organization, align to your business goals. Be really clear on the total cost of ownership of sales and how you can have an impact on that. And yes, your return on investment, but it almost feels like the other has to come first. And then actually, do people actually understand what you do? Is it strategic? Because sales name people absolutely are when they're doing a brilliant job of it. Sam, you're someone who knows a lot about steep learning curves. And we talked about those kind of shifts or kind of pivoting your career every 20 years or going to Annie Mac. <laughs> One of the things we're seeing at the moment is where should enablement people come from? Is it a sales background? Is it more of an L&D background? There's this really interesting debate happening yeah. that I'm seeing. Because obviously you need such a broad skill set in order to do the role effectively. Why don't we start with sales professionals first yep. who are thinking about moving into mm -hmm. enablement and maybe eventually RevOps. What's kind of your advice in terms of how they should be thinking about upskilling themselves and moving into the role? I've seen all sorts, right? I've seen salespeople move into the roles. I've seen marketing people move into the roles. Ex-teachers, people who've come from sales ops into sales enablement, if yeah. you like. But I'd say probably the most common, if like there is a majority area, it is those salespeople that have made that change. And funny enough, I was talking to Xenia, who's our amazing new sales enablement person, or enablement manager, we call her. We, we purposely don't call her sales enablement because she's not just about sales. And she used to be in a sales team and she very quickly realized, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, Xenia, so I apologize, but very quickly realized two things, I think. Yep. So one is she could see how the salespeople were doing things not very well and not very efficiently. So if you've got that sort of mind where you can see your colleagues and you can see them sort of like, they could do it a better way. I think that's flag number one. But it only works if you've got flag number two, which is you have a desire to help. I think there's a lot of salespeople who see that in their colleagues maybe, but they're like, I'm okay. As long as I hit my targets and I do what I need mm. to do, I'm fine. And there is nothing wrong with that behavior at times, to be honest with you. Like, you know, as a salesperson, we kind of expect you, I think, to be very focused. But if you're the sort of person that, wants to collaborate with people and wants to help people and you want to listen to other people and you enjoy the whole being greater than some of the parts yes let's get the phrase right then sales enablement might interest you mm. so i think that's one like those two things go together i think also if you've got any experience and you get a kick out of people learning mm. in some way then that's probably a good sign and if you're good at it yeah as a sales enablement person this is a big thing i saw from product one of the reasons uh, apologies, product people, if you're listening. But one of the reasons I don't like product people generally training salespeople as a rule, there are exceptions, is they don't actually get that excited. They don't bring that passion and that enthusiasm. I think partly because they've been working on this product forever, if you see what I mean. And they, they know kind it of inside know, out. They know it yeah. inside out. It's not as exciting. It's been challenging. They also might not be confident doing that. If you're the sort of person that can bring confidence and belief on an idea to people and you can inspire them. And it's funny enough, when we set our sales enablement charter, we did start with like just words and one of the people in my team, she felt very strongly and she actually sort of became a hill she would die on and she was quite right to that the one word that sums up sales enablement was inspiring. Like that was her belief. Like that was what it was. There. So if those things are resonating with you, then go and give it a go. You don't have to apply for a role straight away because I appreciate that's a big change, mm. but don't talk to people who work in sales enablement. Drop either of us a line. We'd be happy to talk to them, right? Yeah. And think about how your skills match. It might be the most exciting reinvention you do. It's amazing. 
And Sam, I think, you know, hearing it from someone like yourself, who's made those pivots, made the, that evolution in your career, and then obviously also built really diverse enablement teams, it's, it's really powerful. So many golden nuggets. Yeah. Today's conversation. You told me to bring three, so I have, I've, I've done that. Amazing. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you, you coming on the show, sharing so generously with the community. I'm sure that many of the listeners would love to continue learning from you, staying connected. I mean, where's the best place for them to do that? Tragically, LinkedIn. Probably is the best place. Say that. Yeah, yeah, it's this um, amazing social network that you should check out if you're not aware of. I'm really happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear your thoughts, like really genuinely. By all means, just connect with me. But tell me what you think. Disagree with me. Agree with me. Ask me a question or give me your opinion. I really enjoy it. I do have sort of ambitions to set up a bit of a community as well in RevOps. Nice. I don't want it to be huge. Working with. Another RevOps leader, Johnny, if you're listening to this, give you a name check there. So if you think that that sort of thing that would appeal to you, drop me a line. But either way, just connect on LinkedIn and yeah, let's have a chat. Awesome, Sam. Great to hang out and chew the fat today and really enjoy the conversation. Pleasure. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Awesome. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. By uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation and skills. UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue. The UHubs Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs, personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.